Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create sustainable business and strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Welcome to Cynthia Cherry, who is the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association. We are broadcasting live from Brussels at the annual leadership conference. Thank you, Maureen, for being here with us here in Brussels. I'm so excited about the series of keynote speakers that we are able to present and that will give a timeless message around our topic and theme of leadership in turbulent times. And I'm very pleased with our conference chair, Jord Volkers from Deloitte University, the dean of Deloitte University, and his team who helped us along with the ILA staff to present this global conference in Brussels, Belgium in 2017. Today our guest is Mike Hardy. We are again at the ILA and Mike is the founding and executive director for the Center for Trust, Peace and Social Relations at Coventry University. After a distinguished career, he returned to the academic world in 2011 as professor of intercultural relations at Coventry. Mike is active with UNESCO and the UN Alliance for Civilizations. He's currently lead advisor to the World Forum for Intercultural Dialogue in Baku, the World Peace Forum in Indonesia, and directs the rising Global Peace Forum at Coventry. Professor Hardy has been twice awarded the OBE in 2001 for his peace-building work in the Middle East and appointed a Companion of Honor of St. Michael and St. George in the Queen's Birthday Honors, June 2010. And I want to find out what that is, sure. by the way, after I read this intro. You have this very long intro. And his work Sorry. internationally in cultural dialogue. He's a trustee of the 3FF, the leading interfaith charity in the UK, and the board of directors of the US-based International Leadership Association. Mm -hmm. And today, beyond understanding what all these things are in his bio, uh, we're, we are going to talk about his current passion and interest that ties together his work at Coventry and the ILA and his research around the idea of peacefulness and that we as humans are actually a peaceful species. And so what does this mean for peace studies and creating peace and security on our planet? And he takes a slightly different view now than he did in the past, I guess we call that learning, and then many others do. So I'm, I'm excited just with you, the listeners, and with Mike here to explore what this means, this idea of peacefulness, and how is it different from what we know of as peace studies and as business leaders before you turn us off hmm. how does peacefulness relate to running a business organization a government role a nonprofit role in traditional organizations because i believe that the idea of peacefulness transcends organizational structure and framework hmm. and hmm. is in part who we are not just what we do as we get in our cars and go to work in the morning, mm. or our bicycles. So Mike, welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry about the introduction. 
I'm also a good editor, so I could have I could have cut it down for you. But you're so accomplished, I had to read all that stuff. It's it's not accomplishment as much as I've I've been in in certain places at certain times and things happen. But um, but you're right. My um, quite an eclectic journey to where we've got mm -hmm. now, and I couldn't have articulated, and I probably won't do it well. My my passions about peacefulness as well now, mm -hmm. say five or ten years ago, because on that journey you are in sort of formative context, mm -hmm. aren't you? And the real moment in terms of my thinking about peacefulness came only this year. Okay. So, so yeah, when we started talking, yeah. you said this is my new. Yeah, and it's a revelation from others, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm hugely plagiaristic of other people's good ideas, mm -hmm. and that, and why not? And let, and if we can take them forward, so much the better. But I was invited in April of this year to the Spirit of Humanity conference in Iceland. Oh wow! So I got this invitation, re reasonably out of the blue, from people mm -hmm. that knew my interest and knew the work that mm -hmm. we were doing, both at the centre and in some of the fora that we referred to, the peace okay. forums and so forth. And um, they asked me to come and talk about uh, and contribute to a panel on uh, the spirit of humanity. And I thought, oh, it doesn't sound like Mike, you know, the spirit of humanity. <laughs> it sounds far too focused on spirituality. And maybe uh -huh. it's, you know, maybe I have to wear a white robe or something <laughs> like that. You know. But no, I, I accepted because okay. they were good people and I knew uh -huh. them and I'm intrigued by the focus, once I'd read, read up and mm -hmm. the wonder of social media, you can go online and find out everything, of course. Everything, yeah. yeah. So I went to Reykjavik, lovely people, just wonderful people, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed the first day of the forum, and I, my panel was on the second day. And beforehand, David Cadman, who was, the, who was my host, great guy, who I only met in Reykjavik, even though he's, a, he's another Brit, he came to me and he said, right, Mike, we know what you do, referring, I think, to my leadership at Coventry of this, mm -hmm. of this uh, Centre for Trust, Peace and Social Relations, which is like a non-traditional peace studies forum. We know what you do. We know what you've done. Mm -hmm. But we're interested in your panel contribution to tell us why you do it. Okay. So this is like, whoomph. You know, because I'd got my PowerPoint, I'd got my thing. <laughs> I can talk forever, as my colleagues know, about what we're doing and where mm -hmm. we've been mm -hmm. and our route to success and where we're going to go. But actually, no one, strangely enough, had ever asked me why I did it. Hmm. And um, what had provoked David to ask this question, this is a bit of a long-winded way, but actually it, it comes to this convergence that mm -hmm. you referred to in your opening comments. Um, David had looked back and seen that, well, here's this funny guy, he was an economist. You know, my first period as an academic, I was a specialist in mergers and acquisitions. Ah, you know. which doesn't seem like peace studies. No, and which is quite an aggressive and, and uh -huh. confrontational uh -huh. context in the financial markets. But, and now, sort of 30, 40 years later, you're, you're a peace studies director. You know. So that's what he'd seen. So uh -huh. he was interested in the notion of, of why you did what you did. And I went back to my hotel in a bit of a trauma and think, oh, scrap that presentation. What am I, how can I say this? This is all quite personal. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I think that's important, that I've moved from knowing a lot about things to knowing a lot about things in relation to me, more explicitly than I did before. So, okay. so there's a bit much more of self-analysis uh -huh in my analysis of, of things out there. So when we talk about developmental maturity, which I do often on this show, or maybe too often, mm. um, th this idea of this inner awareness mm. and how it relates to our changing context, mm. and that as the world changes, I need to change not only my outer skills to cope, but my inner view of who I am in exactly. this new world, yeah. evolving world. Yeah, so this is exactly it. Of course, I'd read quite a lot about Ubuntu in, in Africa mm -hmm. and, and similar ones in China and so mm -hmm. forth. And the famous ABBA movie song, you know, about knowing me, knowing you. And we'd, we'd I'm not sure that quite gets <laughs> to quite it. Get <laughs> as, as deep, yeah. But in many ways, we'd looked at these in terms of my real interest in social relations, in mm -hmm. the relationships between people and people of difference. And we spoke, we've spoken about this in the past, Maureen. So 
if the drivers, our psychological drivers in our existence are that we need to belong somewhere, but we mm -hmm. also need to be different, that creates all sorts of challenges mm -hmm. for the relationships between people. Because yes, I want to be in your tribe or that tribe, and that tribe is better than your tribe, and I need to be different as well. So I get up in the morning and make sure I have an image that's very different from everyone else, so I'm attractive and so forth. Though these were the things, in looking at social relations, I used to analyse mm -hmm. how the, tra the transactions and the sort of uh, the journey through difference and living with difference was. So. But after Iceland, I began to reflect much more on the notion of Ubuntu, and it is about this contextualization. So share with our listeners, because not everyone knows the word Ubuntu. So this is that you are defined by who you're with and by the relationship between your awareness of self okay. and how that self has been adapted by the acceptance okay. and recognition of others. Okay. So it really is that you're not a, no man is an island, you know, like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. but, and that, as you said, your inner self has to adapt to the changes going on. If it doesn't, you become redundant. Mm -hmm. You become actually dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And that's why in some of the debates at the ILA over the last couple of days, which have been focused on the populist movement, which concerns us in, in contemporary society, <coughs> mm -hmm. and its passion, the populist passion for looking back at mm -hmm. nostalgic con context yeah, and saying, it was yeah. always better then, Mike, you know, and it's, is, is about the inability that people have to focus on, on self-awareness, on self self-change self-leadership and so forth. Thank you for summarizing the hundreds of hours of things I didn't go to because it, it, yeah. that's a brilliant and I want to restate that because so many of us struggle with this populist movement mm -hmm. and what it, what it means. And so I love the insight that it's really about if we're not a adapting our worldview that we want to keep moving backwards rather than forwards. And so I think it's really important to, to look at more carefully that it, it's been sort of, populism has been the sort of pariah in discussions. Mm -hmm. It's a bad thing. But it, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It is. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's a really important reflection on where we are in our society's communication one with mm -hmm. another. Why wouldn't you expect some poor family stuck in the Rust Belt who's been left behind by globalization, left behind by the emergence of technologies which just replaced him or her. Mm -hmm. Why would you expect them not to look back to a time when things were different? Of course. So the context in which it's we relate to political awareness and of uh, the consequences of mm -hmm. leaving people behind, mm -hmm. it's really important. We have to take, and I, I really believe that public leaders have got to step up and mm -hmm. and not attack populist feelings and not but submerge the them but underlying causes yeah, exactly and look at mm -hmm. drivers for these and you know because the problem with populist feelings and tendencies is that you know malefactors some public leaders will come and exploit them and will come mm -hmm. and take control and i think we've seen a lot of that mm -hmm. in the last couple of years mm -hmm. people who take advantage of this feeling these mm -hmm. feelings and anxieties most populism comes from anxieties. Why not work on the anxieties than, you know, on where we do it? But, but coming back to this notion of peacefulness, by analysing why we work in the way we do, mm -hmm. it led me on to think much more about my understanding of peace and why and how the, the peace studies in, in my centre was being applied. And, you know, all of a sudden I saw that most of our work around peace was trying to build it where it didn't exist. So that took you to places of conflict and war and of mm -hmm. violence and pestilence, and there's plenty of that, so it's easy mm -hmm. to find. Um, and, you know, newspapers no shortage of work. much prefer that. Mm -hmm. And actually, in, in the centre, we had developed a lot of work around places which were already peaceful, because mm -hmm. I had had this view, which I hadn't been able to explain fully, that actually going somewhere that's peaceful and analysing why it's peaceful and then working with that place to keep the peace mm -hmm. would be actually quite important. And, and that, that writ large you can talk about whole sort of regional movements, like the European Union at the moment is going through a challenging transformation because of Brexit, because of 
Catalonia because of Scottish independence. You know, all these, st these constant strains that Popper used to mm. write about in modern society. But writ large, the European Union is having to reflect, I think, in that mm -hmm. it, it itself has to adapt in, in the modern world. It itself has to change. Yeah, or postmodern, really. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the European Union hasn't been fabulously successful in maintaining peace in Europe since 50 terrible years of, you know, world wars and, mm -hmm. and recession. So the European Union has been hugely successful at promoting mm -hmm. peacefulness, strangely enough. Well, and so it would seem, to continue your line of thinking, and this is probably what you were going to say, is of course it would adjust just like any of us adjust as our contexts change. Yeah. It probably hasn't been adjusting quickly enough, and people get impatient, and particularly where there's inequalities and, you know, social change resulting from post-industrial traumas mm -hmm. in, you know... The, the levels of inequality that globalization has brought with it and the association, um, we don't have to go into the, the arguments around that, but has led to people being requiring ad this adaptation to mm -hmm. be quicker. So we see bureaucrats in Brussels, we see the, the inability to reform, the failure mm -hmm. of nation states to really embrace sort of a more federal, with a very mm -hmm. small f, way of working. So the place is under strain, but that mustn't remove from us the notion that we have actually organised our affairs in Europe mm -hmm. for the last 40 or 50 years quite successfully. Because, yeah. you know, we're not kicking each other, we're not killing each other. <laughs> it's not perfect and we're not there yet. So but major progress. I think so. And huge changes that we, we take for granted now. And when the, the United Kingdom, my country, and I'm embarrassed is you know, I'm really a very much a Remainer. When we seek to remove ourselves from this European project, we're finding now how difficult that is. And I reflect on how that difficulty of extracting, of dismantling, mm -hmm. is actually because Europe's been so successful. You know, it's, it's divorcing someone who's been fabulously successful. Yeah. So you know, Very personal, yeah. to boil it down. So... I, I was really taken, anyway, after my Icelandic sort of experience, the sinking and the hot springs, you know, they came together, <laughs> um, about this notion of peacefulness. And so um, in looking at peacefulness, uh, what research do we need to do? What, and then, of course, my associated interest in leadership and the, the International Leadership mm -hmm. Association brought this all together. How could leaders be purposeful? How could they be invisible but powerful? Uh, all these themes that are, are currently at the top of our agenda in a world that's really complicated. And how could we put that, put the agenda around restoring the basic peacefulness in relations between people? So that is a perfect transit to break mm -hmm. and we will come back and pick up that question sure so thank you, thank you. become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Metcalf and Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf and Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So we are back with Mike Hardy and talking about your reflection. So let's jump back in where we left. Hmm. So a couple of years ago, as, as you know, Maureen, I joined the International Leadership Association, partly because it was a new territory, mm-hmm. but also because nearly all my career and work, and certainly my current research, looked at either the, the goods and bads of leadership, mm-hmm. the contribution or dysfunction or whatever, yeah. And I was intrigued, and of course, I met many academics who were working in areas such as mine. And one of them, Mansour Javadan from Arizona, just pushed me in this direction. Mm-hmm. So, and it was a new territory rather than a territory that which is obviously going to be complementary. Yeah. And yeah. I've always been a person that has a little taste for new journey, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I put my Wellington boot into the puddle. It might be quite deep or it might be quite shallow, mm-hmm. but it's worth putting it in anyway, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? But I keep the other one out, just in case. <laughs> so, that causes you to not drown. Yeah. So then I got very quickly involved in, in some of the development of the ILA issues. Mm-hmm. And I suppose in life I'm quite a good builder. And I think it became easy to just say, well, we could influence in this way and that way. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things really important. The ILA is an international organization mm-hmm. that is aspiring to be global. So that's oh. interesting for a starter. So yeah. they, when, they first, when I first met them, they talked about this, this international organization, 51 countries. But their passion and their real genuine commitment to be global. And from where I sat, I don't really have a home because of my career taking me everywhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were global at all. I thought that they were locked into their own culture, they're very North American and so forth. Mm-hmm. But this, what I really loved and really took to very quickly was this, this passion, this openness, this commitment, this agility, this desire to do things differently. That's great. If you find mm-hmm. a group of people, and they're amazing people. Yeah, they are. I, everyone I've met has Just been amazing, phenomenal. who do it in that way, and mm-hmm. that energy, and that yeah. commitment. And s- starting with the CEO, Sim. Yeah. And this notion that you could successfully combine as the academy with practitioners, mm-hmm. with policymakers, and mean that, not just do it yeah. in a tokenistic yeah. way. So that was good. So it was very quickly I saw. And of course it does relate to my parallel interest, which was converging rapidly on peacefulness and social relations, and some of the terrible violence in the turbulent world in which we work, mm-hmm. in which leaders have an influence. So this convergence became very quick and very obvious. And then when we looked at how the ILA was creating a platform for, for good discussion about leadership, there were two or three strands in that which became very, very attractive, very powerful mm-hmm. to me to know more. So one, one is this notion, as you know, this year we've probably got two or three strands of very important work going on. The power of purpose is one of them, mm-hmm. you may have heard. This notion that purposeful leadership which builds on common purpose makes better mm-hmm. leaders gives more value to organizations gives mm-hmm. more impact and um, in my books that's the first exercise chapters yeah in each one is what's your purpose yeah. and values yeah it's not always the case that leaders develop and nurture right. and farm purpose mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. certainly not common purpose they have their private purpose yeah but when you see good organizations that say these are our sacred values mm-hmm. this is what mm-hmm. we're about it's a mm-hmm. maybe a combination of the bottom line and and ethical ways of working mm-hmm. or in the not-for-profits you know it's not mm-hmm. getting too hung up on 
on the vulnerable that you're trying to support and uh-huh. becoming totally inefficient in the way yeah. you organise. So all yeah. that. So the power of purpose, uh, that's an ongoing thing, which is really attractive. Uh-huh. The second is the work of, of George Soros and, and, and Gil on invisible leadership, which uh-huh. I really took to. Don't look for the obvious leader to look for the leadership in the world. Uh-huh. Look for the powers of leadership which are uh-huh. happening. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're not the most obvious. I yeah. think Margaret Heffernan talked about that yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm just a, a visitor here. I, this is a, an area of literature I'm exploring and getting mm-hmm. into. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm the guy on the top deck of the bus that eventually will be in the driving <laughs> seat, but it'll be a long time off. So um, those, those were two things. And then the third, I think, was about how leadership is either the source of the problem in our modern world or part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And that's a newer issue. And I really think leadership can be both, which makes it such an interesting Mm -hmm. and important Mm -hmm. area. And if you mix all that up with the fact that leadership scholarship is so much more developed in North America than it is in other places, Mm -hmm. then I could suddenly see in my sort of missionary zealot feeling of persona that we could mobilize a global international leadership association mm-hmm. that could actually change the way things work and we shouldn't ever be um, understating our ambitions we're going to change the world and why don't you get up in the morning and, and say that's what it's about so you've just connected the purpose of ILA yeah. which you said is so important the idea of having a purpose of course you would gravitate to an organization that has a big purpose yeah because yeah. even if you don't accomplish all of it, you've accomplished a lot more than you would if you had a little purpose. So in my professional life, you said in the introduction, I work with the Three Faiths Forum in London, in London, in the UK. It's a very large interfaith organization. It does amazing things. Mm-hmm. It's the Faith and Belief Forum now. It's changed its name because oh. it started only looking at three faiths. And actually beliefs are much more significant so mm-hmm. we've had a little bit of influence there so the faith and belief forum has a very clear purpose and it's about saying that the relationships between organized religions and non-organized beliefs the source of much tension in the turbulent world mm-hmm. actually isn't a real problem at all if you confront it if you have contact oh, okay. and so forth yeah so we say it's a problem we say that Jews and Muslims have a real difficulty. I don't see it. I think sometimes the context in which they coexist have difficulties, but rarely is it about a fundamental divide between belief one sets. On one so, yeah. yeah. So there's a purposeful organisation that, that I work with and learn a lot from. I also work, as you said, within the United Nations system. Mm-hmm. heavily criticised for being out of date, being post-war and not adapting itself mm-hmm. and so forth. But would you get rid of it or would you work within it to improve it? So the purposeful leadership work that we can do and support within the United Nations system is about that. It's saying, look, we need you guys. We need you to be better. We need you to be more powerful, more focused on the real world and not in mm-hmm. your little ivory towers of mm-hmm. in New York and so forth. And the same could be applied, of course, to my university and my little centre. Well, especially as we think of this idea of global, truly global. Mm. So there are some things that are global whether we like it or not. If I pollute the air in my country, that air goes around the globe. If Mm. there is a nuclear meltdown in Japan and that nuclear material goes into the water, it pollutes, Mm. it kills Mm. the fish or even worse, poisons the fish that we eat. There are many things that are foundationally global Mm. on a planet and as our technology has become more sophisticated our ability to impact each other is happening whether we want to be populist or not Mm. so having some mechanism to communicate globally internationally about the things that are truly influencing or impacting. Mm. My actions impact what happened to you in London. Mm. Maybe not day-to-day immediately, but as as countries, they do. Mm. And not having a forum that continually updates. Mm. So you've talked about forum, uh, the EU, and now the UN, and and then back down to our our individual institutions. This whole idea that we need to, from individual to small group to 
national to global need to be continually so evolving. A, yeah, there's a bit, bit of interest here as well, because the organizations that I've been mostly associated in my career have been in the public sector or the policy sector, mm -hmm. not in the private sector. Mm -hmm. I started as an economist working in the private sector. Mm -hmm. If we allow the global conversation to be driven by global capital and the economics mm -hmm. of globalization, mm -hmm. we're not going to get the sort of world that I think we both need and deserve mm -hmm. as in humankind. So, and that's, you don't have to get into a heavy criticism of global capitalism or, as opposed to any other system, mm -hmm. but the reality is that the pursuit of unbridled and unregulated capitalism brings about pretty bad things for mm -hmm. some people. So the growth of inequality, the growth of exploitative relationships and transactional mm -hmm. relationships, mm -hmm. the rainforests being destroyed, blah, 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 you can list them all. So mm -hmm. there, we haven't found a better way of mobilizing mm -hmm. and provoking economic growth. I probably think there are, but we haven't found mm -hmm. them yet. Mm -hmm. But I do know that we need a regulated world. We need a world of collaboration and a world of mitigation of some of the consequences mm -hmm. of our pursuit of growth. Mm -hmm. It's not just because I love orangutan that I'm worried about the rainforests in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. It's because ultimately they will cause Bangladesh to go underwater or they'll cause the sort of hurricanes that mm -hmm. battered Florida. There is a relationship in mm -hmm. science. So, I think leadership in, in the public sector and leadership in the not-for-profit sector, leadership in the education sectors has got to step up because the leadership in the corporate private sector is off, is off and running. Mm -hmm. And they have their purposes and they're very clearly driven. Sometimes, you know, we have anxieties as, as was my own personal sort of ideas about neoliberalism was a way in which sometimes the public policy process was supportive of the global capitalist process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, we have these multiple sectors and we need leadership to step up so that there's, there's a bit more sanity. And so if you drive through um, an agenda of creating peacefulness, you have to look at what do you need to dismantle that we've created that actually yes. is attacking the peacefulness that we have or we had before. What's so, happened, you know? So evolution means our systems evolving, our way of yeah. thinking evolving, yeah. but also being willing to let go of what we held as precious and was foundationally important yeah. at an, an earlier time in history. Mm. So our Rust Belt guys, to use the example of US populism, mm. They held that very precious because that was their livelihood for their families for mm. potentially generations. And they, they don't want to let that go without having something else to provide livelihood. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, an, there's a huge agenda here, isn't there, which, which makes it exciting. And I think um, we're not going to make the world a fair place even though we know we need to argue that it should be fairer. Fairer. Yeah. Right. We're not going to remove all the humiliation and uh, anxiety that exists in the real world just mm -hmm. because we know it's a good thing. But we can, we can remove some of it. You know, mm -hmm. we can push along. But I think what we have to do then is take responsibility as a, in the ILA, in my academic work, in other activities, to help leadership step up. And you know what? What are this? You can you can do this by defining what is a good leader, what is a better leader in terms of this mm -hmm. this purpose that we're we're pushing for. And it's probably a leader who's a little bit more reflective of the context in which she or he mm -hmm. operates. That is part of the work that I've done. Is the mm -hmm. leader actually published in the Leader 2050 book? Mm -hmm. I did with partnership with Mike Mora Fox and Susan Cannon, but really looking at what does this future of leadership look like? Mm. And it's things like being a 360 degree thinker. So I understand yeah. the systems in which I operate. And when I pull one lever, I understand that a whole bunch of other things are impacted. Mm. And if I don't adjust the balance on the other levers, I've created, in some cases, harm. Mm. Even though, and so if we used capitalism, as financial capital being the only capital that matters mm. versus exactly. financial, or human capital, or mm -hmm. whatever. 
if we bring all of those in into the definition of the system, so if we expand our definition of the system, that kind of leader, and then add in humility and collaboration and inspiring followership rather than dictating followership mm -hmm. and innately reflective, adding all those to the equation and not saying that we got it right, but I think it's directionally yeah. good. And it's, you know, these are huge issues philosophically. Uh -huh. They're big issues around ideology and the way we understand the world. You know, I'm quite pragmatic. Let's let's take mm -hmm. bite sizes. Let's do when we yeah. can. So I, I'll give you a very clear example that I think makes a difference to me. Mm -hmm. We set up a, our centre for scholarship in this area around the concerns about human security. Mm -hmm. And there are all sorts of dimensions of that. And it reflected, I think, when the UN set up its own focus on human security as a defining way of, of thinking about the problems of modern society. And human security, we can't do everything that makes people insecure. But we started to look in the centre, what sort of building blocks could we add value mm -hmm. to the general journey towards a more secure humanity. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Interesting enough, because we had a Greek sea captain on my staff who came to me one day and said, look, Mike, we, we should grow a notion of maritime security. This is understated. Okay. So let's look at the nexus between land and sea. And you'll see already where this can go for, a, for an academic saying, well, mar maritime security, this is a university that's landlocked, by the way. <laughs> it's not coastal. But it t took us straight away to the sorts of things which we'd observed in the context of 2017. Slave ships in illegal fishing. Mm. Um, trafficking of trafficking people. Trafficking is a... Who, the mass migration of people over water mm -hmm. from Africa to, to potentially promised lands of jobs in, mm -hmm. in Europe. In little tiny boats. And so from a focus on human security and saying... The ideal purpose is we want a more secure world for humanity. What sort of evidence do we need to develop to help policymakers mm -hmm. and grow our understanding? Maritime security is, is a good idea. That's a little box. You can frame things around. And look at the things you start to look at then. Mm -hmm. We're working. They weren't previously. We weren't emphasized in, yeah. the, in the academy. And so we're mm -hmm. working now in Indonesia, which is a country I know. The amazing archipelago, they have more shoreline than you believe because there are 17,000 islands. You know, this is a country which loses trillions of dollars a year by other countries stealing its fish because mm -hmm. the maritime security issue, because they've only got six submarines and they've got miles and miles and miles and miles of coastline. All of a sudden we can do scholarly work which can change the lives of ordinary people. Fishermen that no longer have fish because large boats, factory ships with, with slave workers come and spend three or four years at sea farming. Oh, yeah. And who, who's regulating that? Who's policing it? It's the natural pursuit of enterprise to do that and getting back to our notion that public leaders have to step up. This natural pursuit of successful enterprise of fishing industry, filling your tins of tuna or whatever else they're doing, mm -hmm. It's causing dramatic changes in the quality of life of villages in Sulawesi. And we can make a difference, you know, but and mm -hmm. not by going and, and being angry about the fishermen. But balancing the good of, of multiple But by being articulate with evidence of what's happening mm -hmm. and what's possible and developing with policymakers, you know, ethical approaches to this. And what, what led in Africa to the development of... Um, of labels for the foodstuffs mm -hmm. that was actually brought through ethical processes or from, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so we now eat chocolate with little labels on it saying these cocoa bones weren't, weren't raised in exploitative ways they were, they were raised in Africa in ways that community benefited and so forth. Free mm -hmm. trade, fair trade is called the movement. Yeah. And just that simple movement creates a level of equity and transparency in the system that now as a consumer in the U.S. or wherever I happen to be, I can make a conscious decision about what exactly. to support yeah. and remove support from. Yeah. And so the same model, the same approach that gives you truth in lending or gives mm -hmm. you very clear statement on the label about what's in mm -hmm. it yeah. to protect your health can be mm -hmm. used to protect the well-being 
of someone in a developing country. So that's a perfect note to take a break on, and the idea that we each have the ability to protect the well-being of others mm. in a way that's relatively easy. Mm. I just look at a label, yeah, and I can make a conscious decision about someone on the other side. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. You're joining Maureen Metcalf and Mike Hardy. And we're talking about peacefulness and how these concepts ripple through academics, public sector, private sector, nonprofit, and how do we as leaders in the ILA and and in enterprise and business adjust our thinking? Mm -hmm. And what questions can we be asking to help us be more global in our our mindset and our behaviors yeah. to create a world that is more peaceful. Mm. I'm not sure if that framed it properly, but yeah, and I, and I think it it does. And I, you know, we were reflecting on some of the the bite-sized chunks that mm-hmm. you can look at. So our reference to maritime security, and we we could look at others. We we're also looking at migration, the movement of people. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a consequence of the way the world has has shaped. Mm-hmm. We don't even have to get into why it's happened. Just let's look at the issues relating mm-hmm. to that. And then when you look at peacefulness, in my reflection, I referred back to the sort of time in, in Iceland when I was provoked to think about this more. I look at the levels of anxiety in people, mm-hmm. in individuals, at the individual level. You know, I believe that relationships between people are the single most important thing for us to consider mm-hmm. in this notion of pursuit of peacefulness or, the, or, or, or peace itself mm-hmm. is actually the interrelationship of people that, that breaks down for whatever reason. And so I think what, what I, I'm really passionate about now is trying to look at how we can remove the anxiety of, contemporary, of the contemporary world in ordinary people. Not just, I haven't got a job and I'm poor and I, ha- I can't look after my family. Gosh, that's important. But there's many other sources as well. And the ones that really provoke my concern and my passion and brings the sort of work I do to the front are the, the sort of fundamental things that I think are important. And I think these should be at the forefront of, of leaders who have influence and have the ability to make a difference in whom and whatever they lead. There's a really important difference between leadership 
and mm-hmm. leaders. So I'm talking yeah. now about leaders stepping up. If they're in a position of power and influence, they should take responsibility. So we have a world now in which humiliation of people by other people seems to be more prevalent than mutual respect. So what's going on there? Why do we have a world in which I thrive by humiliating you? Now, if you look around, for example, that's happening all the time. We need leaders who can help us develop respect for one another. And the way they lead is a critical way they help in that mm-hmm, regard. Mm-hmm. Secondly, why is it we have a world with long-term injustices, where there's just basic unfairness that's almost written into the way we organise ourselves? Mm-hmm. What's all that about? Why can't we have fairness as our sort of default? And when people exist and experience long-term injustices, they react in different ways. They get demoralised, they get depressed. Some get angry and get violent, and mm-hmm. some say this just isn't good enough. So what we're referring to here is some work of a very good friend of mine, John Alderdice, in the House of Lords in the UK, who's a psychiatrist and who's, who, who taught me a huge amount about this notion of anxiety. Why do young Brits, who have everything, live in London, they go to the cinema, they have a fun time, why do they drop all that and go and fight in the deserts of Syria and deserts of Iraq? Knowing that they'll die. Knowing that they'll die. Why do young women of 15 spend six months planning and then escape with their friends to go and become brides of terrorists in... Why does that happen? So John's work has helped me to to look more. And a lot of it's about this notion of perceived uh, being humiliated, perceived um, unfairness, discrimination, Mm -hmm. that, that seems to be more commonplace. And, well, and it, we're seeing it now. Like yeah. The populist movement has brought it to yeah, light. Yeah, exactly. This is ex- exaggerating it. It's, mm-hmm. it's self-fulfilling whatever. Mm-hmm. And this, the third issue is that our societies find it increasingly difficult, for whatever reason we could come to if we had mm-hmm. time, to accommodate difference in yeah. peaceful ways. So this tribalism that, that is being encouraged. So those three things the humiliation, the unfairness, and our basic inability to make a difference by accommodating difference and by being mutually respectful. It's behind a lot of the human insecurity about which we're interested in. Because we're coming to a close, I'd love to wrap up with a couple of suggestions on what to do about this. I realize you have not single-handedly solved the entire world's problems, although with your intro you should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two, two big things for me. And uh, you're right, we haven't solved the problem. Mm-hmm. But I do think we live in a world where compassion has seemingly been pushed aside. Mm-hmm. I would inject big doses of compassion. And this is just about feelings, about if you see something that's unfair... Don't ignore it. Don't be one of the huge majority of those who are silent. You know. So that's the first. Let's bring compassion to the front. When a refugee is fleeing appalling conditions in their home country, don't build a wall and close them out. First thing we should do is empathise and, and, and say, if this were me and my family, what would I do? Chancellor Merkel took a stand on compassion, I think, mm-hmm. when she let in 850,000 refugees into Germany. And the second is, is inclusion. I mean, these are big okay. ideas, all right? Let's have a world in which our basic approach to relationships are inclusive and not exclusive. So that let's not continue to exclude people. Shut the door. Where's mm-hmm. your past? How do you get in here? Mm-hmm. Let's have a world in which, conceptually, we're much more inclusive. I'm always led to Lucas's Star Wars movie, the first Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. You're probably too young. No, actually, yeah. Star Wars was our, <laughs> our high school theme. So, so The first movie has a wonderful sequence in it that I often refer to because I remember it well, and it's the sequence in the bar when they're negotiating for Han Solo to take them to mm, some planet. Mm-hmm. And this is a bar full of the most bizarre, monster-looking mm-hmm. space people and aliens. 
And they're only talking about business, not about each other's difference. It's ah, fascinating. That, I never thought about it from yeah. that lens. Yeah. So, just to wrap up very quickly, the two things I heard you say is compassion. Yeah. And each of the, us has that within our own power to be compassionate. And bring it out. Circles. Live it. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I yeah. do compassion. Yeah. I am compassionate. Yeah. And the other is inclusion. Yeah. And again, for our business leaders, for our nonprofit leaders who are listening, each of us can be more inclusive, yeah. more attending to fairness, more putting ourselves and in the position. And don't just do it because the law tells you to. That diversity is important because it brings richness. It brings actually an asset base which you wouldn't otherwise have. Mm -hmm. So don't just do it because we have equalities legislation. Don't just put down people because they're too young, they're unqualified, they're the wrong ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Inclusiveness is a way of thinking, just as compassion is a, a way of behaving. So thank you, and I can't wait to do this again next year, ah. if, if not before. But I'm delighted to hear your new work. And how would, hopefully this has sparked curiosity for thousands of people, and they will want to find your information. So, so how would they find you? There's a couple you? of ways. Some, some of these ideas we've included in, we released a book in January, mm -hmm. Muslim Identity, published okay. by Jessica Kingsley, which you can find online. It's a very focused book on a particular issue, but some of the issues we raise that I, we've been talking about are in mm -hmm. there. And secondly, go to my centre's website, you know, the Centre for Trust, Peace and Social Relations. It, it has a Facebook page as well. Okay. And you'll see some of the work that we're doing. And just bear in mind that the reason we're doing this is, you know, fundamentally about some of the issues we've spoken today. So mm -hmm. it may be very specific, it may be very contextualised, but actually it's driven by this sort of philosophy, this sort of worldview. Thank you. This worldview is so beautiful and relevant to me. I leave the conference, as, as the conference is ending, I leave hopeful that there are different ways of looking at what is feeling troubling in our world right now. Mm. That, that there are opportunities through this chaos and turbulence to create something much better. Mm. Good. So thank you for being a, a person that brings and inspires hope. Thank you for asking. Thank you for joining us live in Brussels at the International Leadership Association Conference. In these turbulent times, investing time and energy to refresh and evolve your leadership skills becomes a critical success driver. I challenge each of us to consider the impact effective leadership makes on our lives and on the lives of the organizations we lead and the people that those organizations impact. Imagine what each of us can do as we work together to solve these big problems that impact us, together we can create a world that is more peaceful, more just, and creates more opportunities for everyone to thrive. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.